Today's episode of Making an Addict is sponsored by Able Life Recovery, online recovery coaching services for anyone needing additional support on the path to obtaining and maintaining sobriety. Coaching plans are designed with you in mind. For our listeners, you can get 25% off your first coaching plan by visiting ableliferecovery.com, reviewing the available plans, and scheduling your first appointment. Use promo code LIFE, that's L-I-F-E, and get 25% off today. Addiction is a chronic disease. Millions of people worldwide suffer from substance and behavioral addictions. An addict's life is often unmanageable, leaving the addict and his or her family and friends feeling completely powerless over the disease. Without treatment, addiction can result in disability or premature death. You are listening to Making an Addict. My name is DJ Burr, and I'm an addict in long-term recovery. I'm a licensed psychotherapist, behavioral addiction specialist, and best-selling author of I Just Wanted Love, Recovery of a Codependent Sex and Love Addict, now available on Amazon, Audible, and iTunes. I intend to bring you different perspectives about addiction from various sources, including other addicts in recovery, clinicians who treat recovering addicts, and family and friends of addicts to discover what makes an addict. Listener discretion is advised. To learn more about this podcast, check us out at makinganaddict.com or follow me on social media at djburr1022 on Facebook, thedjburr on Instagram, and at djburr1022 on Twitter. Good morning and welcome to Making an Addict. Today I'm talking with Arlena and she is a person in long-term recovery. Arlena, welcome. Thank you so much for having me, DJ. Yeah, it's I'm so glad that you and I were able to connect. Arlena is a podcaster herself, as well as a person in long-term recovery, like I said earlier. And I think she might have some interesting perspectives on what makes an addict. So, Arlena, l- tell us, what are your thoughts? <laughs> well, um, I think what I'll do, if you don't mind, I'll just sort of um, give you a little background of um, who I am and where I come from, so maybe your listeners can kind of get an idea of you know who's talking would that be okay yeah absolutely okay perfect well um so i am 48 um i live in um, san jose california i'm married i've been married for 19 years um i have two children who have actually never seen me loaded i'm really grateful for that um i have two boys one who's 16 and one who's 13 and um I'm a professional salesperson, and like you said, I'm also a podcaster. I have two podcasts, actually. Um, one is a sales podcast, and one is you know, a sales podcast focused on high-tech sales, and then one that's focused on recovery, and I'll, and I'll go over that in a little bit. But um, about my, my past, um, so I, I grew up in a very – um, peaceful house for the most part um, early on. My my mother's from Mexico City and my father was born and raised in Kentucky and moved out to the West Coast um, you know when he was a, a child and my parents are both very nice people. They're hardworking, middle class, um, you know, educated. My father's college educated. Um, my mom was the first foreign exchange student to Klamath Falls, Oregon, and that's where she graduated high school. And that was, you know, that was kind of a cool story for her. She was 14 years old when she went to um, 
came to the U.S. and went to high school all four years. And, and listen, I can't imagine, you know, me as a 14-year-old, go like, leaving my family for four years. That would have been pretty intense. But, um, yeah, she's just a, she's a very positive person um, these days. Um, you know, not so much when I was growing up. Um, I, I When I talk about my um, my family of origin, I talk about how, you know, when I was, coming up that my two predominant feelings when I was growing up was guilty and wrong. And, um, and I think it was due to my relationship with my mother who, you know, she, I always say she had two feelings. She was either really happy or she was really pissed. You know, my parents divorced when I was seven and that was really hard on me. Um, and something else that had happened when I was growing up, I had been, um, raised in the church and taught that, you know, I should be a good little girl and be nice. And I had no awareness of how to maintain healthy boundaries. And a neighborhood child um, started um, sexually molesting me, um, starting from about age four or five. It's almost my earliest memories. And it went on for years. And I felt really bad about who I was. And I was... um, ashamed I grew up in the church but I was ashamed to stand before God like I knew God was everywhere I had this concept that God was everywhere and all loving but there was you know there's this idea of hell in in religion and um, I was afraid I was going to go there because I was I was bad and um, didn't help that it was a girl that was doing it so it was very confusing for me and this went on for years. So, um, you know, as I grew older, my self-esteem, who I thought I was, I thought I was bad, and I really wanted to be good. And I started acting out sexually at an early age and using drugs and alcohol at an early age, and I just couldn't seem to be good. And at some point, I gave up. I thought, if I can't be good, then I'm going to be good at being bad. And, um, you know, that I had to find ways to justify my behavior. And I used humor a lot to sort of justify what I was doing. For instance, um, when I drank, I had my first drink of alcohol when I was probably about 10. Um, like I said, my, my parents had divorced. And I was, uh, my mom had gone out on a date. And I have an older sister who's two years older than me she's very she was the good girl and um my mom had gone out on a date and I we were home alone and I'm not really sure what drove me to this um I must have been about eight or ten but um I there was a bottle of alcohol in the cabinet and I decided to drink some of it and I remember um the alcohol burning my lips and it burned my throat, it burned all the way down until it hit bottom, right? And then when it hit bottom, this warmth spread through my whole body. And I didn't realize how bad I felt until I felt good, right? And and now I had like this feeling of euphoria and I was physically numb, like nothing could hurt my body. I, I recall uh, we had these Spanish tiles in this hallway and I recall falling on it thinking wow this doesn't even hurt you know I was bouncing off walls and and listen I was by myself right my sister wasn't drinking at all so it was like you know a little party for one I was having and had a really good time apparently um but that first night 
I um, got sick from the alcohol. I threw up everywhere. And my sister, being the good codependent that uh, she is, she cleaned me up. She put me to bed, and she didn't say a word to my mother. And that sort of began our codependent alcoholic relationship for many years, actually. I found out later that the reason why she didn't say anything to my mom is because she thought she was going to get in trouble for me. And that was significant for me because um, it wasn't until years later that I recognized that in our family dynamic, um, we didn't take appropriate responsibility for ourselves um, or others. Like I was taking inappropriate responsibility for other people and not enough for myself. And that sort of was a reoccurring theme from that point on. And, but I didn't recognize it. I didn't understand what was, you know, what was going on. So years of dysfunction um, in relationships at school. Um, I remember drinking before school in, in, in junior high and being sent to the principal's office one time because I was acting out in class. And, and then later when I was growing up, um, you know, when I was older and of legal drinking age, I was that girl. <laughs> I was that girl. I just never knew who was going to come out. And I feel like I had like these two alter egos. It was either Badass Betsy or Wimpy Wendy because I was either fighting or crying. And I just never knew who was going to come out once I started drinking. And, and I did drugs and, you know, smoked a lot of pot and things like that. Um, but I just never knew who was going to come out, right? And um, I would wake up sometimes and I would, you know, I was a blackout drinker, but I would recall bits and pieces of the night before. And I'd be like, what was that all about? Like, I had no clue why I was exploding, you know, I was so volatile when I was drinking. And I, I've come to understand um, through recovery that I didn't know, I wasn't really um, coping with my feelings. I wasn't processing my feelings. I was stuffing them. And, and for me, when I repress and stuff my feelings, when I drink, it all comes out. Right. Like they say that alcohol is the truth elixir. And I don't necessarily believe that because people say things they don't mean when they're drunk and angry, even angry. I mean, I know plenty of people who go into a rage and they say, you know, sober and they say things they don't mean. Right. Um, but all kinds of crazy stuff comes out of me when I um, when I put alcohol in my body. So, you know, through a series of events. Um, I, I, you know, I grow up when I'm 25 years old, I have my last drink, uh, of alcohol on my 25th birthday. I was in a relationship, um, and that relationship was really important to me. And if I backtrack just a little bit, I, somewhere along the line, I got the idea that love was going to save me, but I was thinking romantic love, right? Like I, I grew up playing with Barbies thinking that Ken was going to come rescue me. And that if I met my Ken, that um, everything would be okay. If Prince Charming rode up on his white horse and, and would save me, then life would be good after that. I would live happily ever after. And, uh, you know, it wasn't actually far off. It turns out it is it was love that saved me, but it didn't show up in a way that I recognized it. So um, what ended up happening for me is I was in this relationship with this man that I thought was my ideal, and I was losing him because of my drinking. In my sales career, I was, you know, taking customers out at night, and I was getting really drunk, and I was, 
you know, driving drunk. And I, I'm really grateful that I never got into an accident or a DUI or anything like that. But it was clearly um, something I was ashamed of and scared of. Um, but I didn't seem to have any control over it. and didn't seem to have any control over whether I was going to drink or not or uh, what was going to happen once I started. And um, it was frightening, and I, I wanted better for myself. I grew up kind of poor, and I wanted things and stuff. I thought love and money was going to be my answer, in all honesty. And uh, so I was ambitious, and I was trying to um, make some money in this sales career, and I was, I was failing. And I kept taking these, um, like, Tony Robbins workshops or Harvey McKay is a sales guy that was doing, uh, had some good books out at the time. And this is in the early 90s. Um, I got sober in, in 1994. So prior to that, I was seeking out um, all these self-help books, right? Like, I, I uh, kind of lived in the Barnes & Noble self-help section. I was reading all these books and, like, I had a... I'm a seeker, right? I like, how am I going to fix myself? You know, I was trying to think my way into right living. And later I learned that recovery is about living your way into right thinking. But like most of my ideas, it's almost the exact opposite, like 180 degrees away from uh, what I would consider to be like the thinking of God, right? Um, so my, all my best ideas were probably 180 degrees away from what the actual solution would be that would bring me peace and, and healing. Um, but I was, you know, I was trying, right? I was, I was willing to do anything. I was like, what is the secret? What, can I, what information is going to come into my life that's going to help me make money and, um, and progress me in my career? But the first thing I have to do is take care of this drug and alcohol thing. And, um, what helped what, um, help me to uh, recognize that I might have a problem is I got into a fight with my sister. Um, I was out on a bar one night, and I was drinking, and she was driving my car on the way home, and, we, and she and I got into a fight. I, I, I really just lost my mind, and I don't remember most of this evening, but I was physically abusive to my sister. I, uh, she was driving my truck, and I punched out the windshield and broke it in a couple places. The police were called. Um, but because I had a friend that was a cop, I gave them his name and number and they let me go. And, um, that was something I had done actually several other times when I was, I got pulled over for DUI like four times and would give him, them his card and they would let me go. But, um, this particular night, it wasn't, a, it wasn't about the police. It was about my sister and I. And I really hurt her, and I felt so bad the next morning. I had that sickening, sinking feeling that something terribly wrong had happened. My hand was all black and blue and swollen, and um, I had to call my sister and find out what happened. Um, my, I saw my, my car had been damaged, and um, I had to go see her to get the story because I didn't know what happened. But I knew something bad happened, and the look on her face, that morning, um, it was that look of disgust and hurt and anger, and um, I felt so bad about who I was, and I couldn't deny any longer that my drinking was a really big problem. But I didn't understand. You know, you know what it did, DJ, is that it made me um, start asking the questions. I was like, what is an alcoholic? When do you cross the line? Because I was certainly hanging out with lots of people who were drinking. So um, 
I was like, what is it that makes somebody an alcoholic? And it just led me one question after another. And I got deeper and deeper and deeper. And, and to be honest, it took me two years of asking these questions and, and really wrestling with my behavior and drinking and trying to do some control drinking and all that stuff to really um, find out what was going on with me. And I finally ended up in the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous through um, two of my customers and these two guys were sober I'll never forget them Rich and Mitch and Randy and Randy sort of explained the con- some concepts like you know if you don't take the first drink you can't get drunk or um, doing the same thing over and over again expecting a different result is the definition of insanity and not being able to predict my behavior once I started drinking all these all these things that we learn um, in 12-step groups was like, so it hit me so hard. It was so profound to me. These were the answers that I had been looking for in the aisles of Barnes and Noble and all these self-help books. You know, I started, but it was carried in a message through a person. It was like um, somebody looking me eye to eye with eyes of compassion. Like I would tell them these horrible stories is like, I didn't want to be doing what I was doing. And they got, they understood like they got my kind of crazy and they weren't judging me for it. They were like, yes, that happened, you know, and there's a way out. And these two guys, Mitch took me to my very first AA meeting. And these two guys were so instrumental. They, and they quickly turned me over to the women. They say, you know, it's suggested that you work, you know, the women work with the women and the men work with the men. So they turned me over and I was petrified because um, I had spent my entire life seeking um, external validation from men, mostly. Um, <laughs> listen, I, I would have done anything to change the way I felt. I, my tagline is, if it was in a bottle, a bag, or blue jeans, I was doing it. I was doing. I was willing to do anything to change the way I felt. And suddenly, these two guys are telling me that I have to work with the women. And I was petrified because I had spent so much time and energy, you know, decorating the outside that I felt like I was an empty shell and the women were going to see right through me. And I felt like I had nothing. I felt like I had nothing to offer. I had no female um, friendships, really. I burned everybody out. Even my own mother was like, I'm, I'm done with you. I can't, I can't deal with you. She had disowned me and, you know, many times actually, um, so I was, but you know what? I was so desperate for recovery and to get better uh, and desperate for help that I was willing to do anything. And I'm so grateful for the women in the rooms who um, took me in. And um, I'll never forget, I kept hearing about this four step. I kept hearing that um, a lot of people relapse over the four step, and I was petrified of, of relapsing. So um, my name is kind of hard to remember, but this woman remembered my name the second time she met me. And it was as if the clouds had parted and the sun was shining on her. It was like the angels were singing and it was like, she's the one. So I had asked her, um, that's kind of funny because I had asked her if she would listen to my inventory and she looked me in my eyes with such kindness and she said, I would be honored to. And then she said, but we're going to start with step one. So that's what we did. We we started with step one. Isn't that funny? So we started with step one, and this woman, she would say, okay, you're going to meet me here at this time, and whatever, we're going to work the steps. And so she um, would show up, 
and I was like, oh, my God, she's here. I was always surprised that she showed up when she said, said she would. And um, I did about a step a step a week for a while until I got to the fourth step. That took me a little while just because it's, you know, it's a painful process to look within and dig up all the resentments. But I was so grateful for this process because it was the first time um, I had an actual specific guideline of what to do, how to address my feelings and process them for the first time. So I went through all my resentments. I got very specific about the cause of the resentment and then how it affected me. And that was the first time that I saw that my self-esteem was taking hit after hit after hit after hit. And I, there was nothing left of me. Right. And how do you cope with that? You know, and I look back and I think, you know what? Drugs and alcohol kept me alive. They kept me alive long enough <clears throat> until I could get to the rooms. And I had one of those moments where I was like, oh, dear God, please help me. And, you know, and this woman was so sweet to me. Um, she guided me through that inventory and not only did I see how my self-esteem was affected, I saw what my part was for the very first time. I was so defensive because um, I felt so bad about who I was. I was so defensive I couldn't see my part. But with her support and through her loving kindness, um, she was the one who helped me to sort out that I was not taking enough responsibility for myself. And I was taking inappropriate responsibility for others, meaning I was trying to control other people and manipulate other people so that I could get what I needed. And it came out in really ugly ways, right? Manipulation's not a, it's a defect, really. And um, so she showed me compassion and kindness. And before I met this woman, um, I had this habit of, like, I needed to talk about what was going on in my life. I was very, you know, they call it a drama queen, but I had some big feelings, and I did not know what to do with them. And I would tell my business to anybody who would stand still long enough. And um, But through this woman's kind, loving eyes and, and her presence, she made a safe space for me, and I would tell her what was going on in my life. I stopped feeling the need to share everything with everyone. I told one person everything, and I was free and then I got to work on my character defects and um, learn different ways of handling things. Like maybe I shouldn't say the first thing that comes to mind. Maybe I shouldn't respond in anger the moment I get an email or hear a voicemail or when somebody says something shitty to me or something that hurts my feelings. And you know what I mean? It's like, maybe I should wait. Maybe I should talk to somebody else first and see what, did I do something to cause them to treat me this way? Like, what is my part? And, you know, from the time I got sober till now, it's been 22 years. Um, you know, my prayers have changed to when I have an interaction with somebody, I think, um, God fix me, change me. What did I do? Like, I don't, I want to be different. I want to be better. I've always wanted to be better. I think we all just kind of do the best we can with the information that we have. And I just wanted to be better. So my prayers these days revolve around, you know, relieve me of the bondage of self because it's my self-centeredness and my self-seeking that really get me all twisted up. I'm afraid I'm not going to get what I'm demanding. And I'm afraid I'm going to lose something that I have. Those are what my fears still revolve around today. And, um, although I do have a very peaceful and beautiful life these days, you know, stuff still comes up, 
you know, I'm, I'm, you know, I work really hard. I, um, I have two kids. I try to be a good mom. I try to be a good wife. And, um, every once in a while, something just comes up. It's beyond my control. Like my sweet 16 year old son got his heart broken and, and, uh, I wanted to stab a bitch to be honest, (laughs) (laughs) but, um, I don't know if it's a Latina coming out. I don't know, but I still, <laughs> I was mad. I was like, oh, no, she didn't. But um, yeah, she did. She broke his heart. And then what I get to do is be loving and supportive for my son. And then I get to go to my sponsor and be like, this is not, you know, and I have, she will say things, offensive things, like this is none of your business. <laughs> I was like, wow, that's so rude. <laughs> but um because I'm the mom, right? I want to help my boy out, but uh, he has his path. <laughs> he has his path, and and um, I'm here to help. And um, and, and maybe I uh, cross a boundary every once in a while. Boundaries are a funny thing, right? Like we don't know where they are until we cross them, and um, we need to be open with ourselves and others to, you know, constantly reassess. You know, we're just we're all just human, doing the best we can. So feel like every day is um better you know today i i have a podcast called uh the oda chat podcast which has launched this week and it's stories about recovery um from addiction all kinds of addiction you know not just drugs and alcohol but gambling sex you know food whatever because in my mind it doesn't matter what the problem is the solution is the same it always comes back to a spiritual solution meaning a power greater than ourselves, whether it's the group of drunks or um, somebody like another person that you admire or whatever. You know, personally for me, I'm cool with God. Me and God are cool. Um, I always have been. And I got to redefine what God means to me. And for me, that works. And, um, you know, that that's how it is. You know, and, and today what I do for my sobriety is like I went to a 6 a.m. meeting this morning. Um, this week I chaired at a, um, women's recovery center and it's very young women with children who are living in this, um, sober living environment. And a girl asked me to be her sponsor. And, um, I just feel so honored that, you know, I walked in feeling like, oh my gosh, I, these women are not going to relate to me, but it's interesting. This, the language of the heart, um, crosses all boundaries, right? When we share from the heart. Um, we understand each other, you know, maybe the circumstances are different, but the feelings are all the same. And so I left um, feeling connected and useful and, um, and that maybe that my experience would, would benefit somebody else. And, and really that's my goal today is just to, you know, do the best I can as in who I am, but my, my calling and my life's purpose is to help other people, recover from whatever it is that um that they got going on i feel like everyone's got a little something something right um absolutely wow your story is so impactful i can relate to almost everything (laughs) yeah i know you and i have a lot of a lot of similarities i know you have some childhood traumas sure and you know and we and your podcast is about um the, and correct me if I'm wrong. I don't. I don't mean to put words in your mouth, but it's about original harms or where addiction comes from, right? Right. And and what I have found is that most people have unresolved trauma that mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. leads them into the the addiction because 
right. you don't want to hurt. Right. We don't want to be in yeah. pain. And, yeah. and so I, I love what you said about how, you know, the drugs and alcohol kept you alive until you could get into the rooms. Yeah, that still chokes me up today. And um, because I was so desperate not to be in pain. Yeah. And I was so judgmental and hard on myself mm. because I was acting out. I just didn't know what else to do. Right. Right. And, there was um, no like manual and, you know, in terms of what to do. Right. And aren't you, I don't know, you're, I bet you've had the same experience where you meet somebody who's well-adjusted and you're just like, how did that happen? <laughs> like, how are you so well-adjusted in life? <laughs> I've actually had people say that to me. <laughs> it was interesting because when I was growing up, people would say, well, how did you not become an alcoholic? And at the time I, I had not been drinking and I said, oh, well, I just saw my environment and I didn't want to be a part of it. But I was still holding on to the pain. Right. I was still and holding how did on. You, yeah. And how did you, so did you act out in unhealthy ways then? Oh, absolutely. I mean, every relationship that I could even think of was unhealthy. Um, yeah. And then, you know, I would pick the wrong people. My picker was like non-existent. Mm and beyond broken beyond broken and i would pick the same person over and over again yeah isn't yeah. that amazing how we do that mm -hmm. it's like the same person just with a different face yep absolutely and i and it, i i kept picking like really really dysfunctional people who looked exactly like my parents you know, really? their behaviors were very similar. And then I got right. to I got to play one role and they got to play the other role. And we were just reenacting my childhood. And I once told yeah, my mother amazing. that I said, you know, uh, every relationship I've had looks just like your marriage. How did she respond to that? And she said, I'm sorry. Oh, you know, did that bring you peace to hear her say that? Yeah. Absolutely, because I think she got it. Aww. Because that was the example. Yeah. That was that was mm -hmm. the example of, of her taking care of an alcoholic, right? Mm -hmm. And as a result mm -hmm. of him being absent, um, using me to you know take care of her and my siblings, right? Putting a lot of mm -hmm. responsibility on me, and then me suppressing yeah inappropriate responsibility, and me suppressing everything that there was about myself even the fact that I was gay you know I couldn't mm -hmm. even I couldn't even access that and really you know process oh. that or ask for help and so I just suppressed it and then would act out in various ways and then that just left me vulnerable to be yeah. at attacked by a predator oh wow yeah yeah and so this person came into my life and said oh I'll, I'll take care of you and I was like oh finally yeah, that was a right. Someone's gonna that rescue a, me and right. save me. Absolutely, and so, mm -hmm. you know, and and that's why I do the work that I do now is because there are a lot of people who have gone down that path, and I want to make sure that mm -hmm. they have a place where they can talk, where they can share, where they can ask for help, and that's why it's so important yeah. for me to do these podcasts and get people's stories out there so we can heal. Right. Yeah. Listen, I don't mean to be, sound like a beauty pageant and stuff, but we are healing the world. <laughs> we are. I, I, we're after world peace. Yes, right? one day at a time. One person at a time. And, and I love the work time. that you're... 
I love the work that you're doing. Thank um, you. I see that you've dedicated your entire life to helping other people and and talking so openly about things that um, you know the mainstream is not always receptive to. But there are people who need to talk about it, and you know where this idea that we should be ashamed about the things that happen to us. Um, you know, there's some. Sometimes it surprises me that people can like I hear these stories. I do a lot of twelve set meetings and I hear these horrible stories and I'm sometimes surprised that people survive their childhood. And listen, a lot of people don't. A lot of people don't survive their childhood. Yeah. But um, those who do, um, you know, I, I feel compelled to uh, reach out and, and, and let people know that there's a different way. We don't have to suffer. And, you know, drugs and alcohol were my coping skill. It was really drugs and alcohol and men, to mm-hmm. be perfectly honest. Um, that was my coping skill because that took me out of me. And um, there's a, a million ways that we can distract from our feelings. And I do everything in excess except for recovery <laughs> for some reason because it's, it's so painful to look at. Yes, it like is painful. the whole painful. point. It's painful, and, and, and listen, that is the, the root of the addiction, you know. They say in the book of Alcoholics Anonymous that um, alcohol is but a symptom. It's just mm. a symptom of a deeper problem, and so the work that, um, that you do with other people um, to help them get to the inner work, um, I've done lots of, you know, 12-step stuff, but I've, I've also done a lot of um, therapy and what therapy did for me is I was able to go back to my childhood, those experiences I had um, being sexually awakened so early and then being promiscuous um, later on. And now I recognize that when a girl is promiscuous, it's, I, I bet you nine times out of ten that it's because she was sexually abused in yeah, some way. She's working out and the I earlier thought, issue. Yeah, because we need to um, gain power over our sexuality. And so, you know, like for me, I couldn't be good. So I was like, I'm going to be good at being bad, you know. And so I was. I had that mentality, (laughs) too. Right. Did men go through that, too, you think? Yeah, absolutely. I'm probably curious about that. Yeah. Yeah. It was just like. men don't feel, men don't get the shame, though, around, like, if a woman is promiscuous, she's a whore. And if a man is promiscuous he's a stud you know what i mean that wasn't my experience i i I thought i was a whore (laughs) and you felt bad about it yeah absolutely (laughs) i felt bad about it every single time oh because it makes you feel like you so you so you didn't do it for love you do it because you were distracting or did you feel like you were selling yourself out or no i thought i was looking for love i thought that was love Mm -hmm. i thought sex was love right I I just didn't know. I I had no clue. I didn't know what love was at all. So I just kept, you know, accepting whatever was handed to me. Right, right. You know, I didn't have that. uh, I didn't have a good template. Um, I had no model of what love looked like. No model. And so for me, it's just like getting a lot of clarity and education about what healthy relationships look like and you know, uh-huh. what uh, healthy uh, boundaries look like and coping strategies. I mean, I've learned so much and I continue to learn every day. And that's the thing. We have to continue to right. do the work. Yeah. Yeah, because the, uh, 
We have different opportunities um, for growth, right? Like, it seems like, I've heard this, and I don't, maybe you've heard this too, but a lesson is repeated until it's learned. Like, there's no mistake, there's only a lesson. Mm. And a lesson is repeated until it's learned. And, um, like, for me, um, I have a lesson around my sister. Um, you know, she and I really, that was like in the 22 years I've been sober, that's the one relationship that I've never been able to fully um, find peace around. And, mm-hmm. you know, I'm still unpacking that stuff today because, and uh, for me, it shows up um, in the form of a, an unhealthy sponsee. Mm-hmm. I will occasionally um, get this sponsee. It's like, like love relationships it was it's like the same person it's just a different face right Right. Mm -hmm. and so i keep getting the same person in my life and i'm like what is the lesson what is the lesson and for me i don't do well around people who are victimy yeah and and because they're very powerful and they just (laughs) they mess with me so hard um i lose my peace around it i try to control and um and for me like when my sister my my sister was um, a teenager. She was very depressed and suicidal. She never attempted suicide, but that was the fear. It felt like an imminent an imminent occurrence was about to happen. And my mother told me that we had to save her. Oh my. And so I got this yeah I got this message that I had to save my sister, and I couldn't I couldn't control her. I couldn't make her be different. Still can't. You know she's um, 50 years old and she lives with my mom. Never been married. No kids. And um, she just seems to be in this um, limbo, like I, this is going to be her life. I wonder if right? she got the yeah. same message that she had to save you, like she covered up for your, your drinking early on. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. But she took my, like, she was the receiver of <clears throat> my abuse. Yeah. I was abusive towards my sister, mostly verbally, but it was that one night I was actually physically abusive and um, like I punched her in the face and gave her a bloody nose and um, you know that was like the worst that ever happened but um, I was so ashamed about that because I was the one who was supposed to save her right. and now even though my sister's not really in my life that much um, but um, I get these sponsees who I feel like I have to save mm. and it makes me crazy because um, I get like emotionally involved. I get like all enmeshed in their stuff and it's not mine. And it's so hard for me to set boundaries for myself. Like what is appropriate? How, like, where is my responsibility? Because, you know, alcohol and drug addiction is a life and death issue sometimes. For some people it's like, you know, and I had this one sponsee who kept going out and um, the last time she went out, she took a bunch of pills and she was suicidal. She's a failed girl too. And so she nearly oh. talked her best friend and her husband, nearly talked them into letting her go to sleep. And had she been successful, she would have died. Mm. And it just freaks me out. And so I feel like I have to, like it's my responsibility to transmit something that she's not ready or willing to receive. So what and do you just, do? So what do you do when you have these sponsees that you, you continuously get these sponsees who you think you have to fix? Uh, where do you turn to for support? Well, you know, I have a sponsor. Excellent. And yeah, <laughs> yeah and I, my sponsor is magical. And I always tell people, if you don't feel like your sponsor is the best sponsor on the planet, you should find a new one. <laughs> so there's so many, <laughs> there's so many, you know, say there's a wrench for every nut. There really is. I mean, um, when I get together with my sponsor, 
my sponsor, you know, and I, she creates a safe place for me and I'm able to work my stuff, go through my stuff quickly in her presence. Right. And she's so gentle and kind and loving towards me. And, um, she tells me that her responsibility to me is to be honest about what comes up for her. That's it. Like she's very God centered and God led. And you know, she talks about spirit a lot. And, um, she's very like, kind of like, um, I'm sort of, um, I like fashion and, and, you know, I like shiny things and she's very like mother earth granola. Mm. I mean, she shaves her legs and everything, but, um, <laughs> but barely, <laughs> but barely. Um, but she is my conduit for magic because she is such a clear channel. She doesn't have her stuff in the way. So I use her as my example, right? I'm not trying to save these women anymore and listen I'm still trying to figure this out because this is a recent um, even though I've been sober a while I'm still this is one of the things that was has been very difficult for me to unpack and get to the heart of like I don't get to choose when I'm gonna deal with this stuff like maybe like you know I'm sure like somebody like you that you know that does therapy you create a safe space for someone and help them get to their to their stuff but um mm-hmm. this one for me comes up when i have a, like god will send me these women so that i can deal with my issues and so when i do like to answer your question i go to my sponsor and i say look this is what's happening and she'll offer me guidance she's like well what's coming up for me is that you don't have peace around this and this is not working for you and if this isn't working for you this is not working for her so you need to set her free you know, set her free of your control, set her free in your mind, turn her over to God. Um, and it's very hard because it brings up all my control issues. It brings up all my fear. Like I, it brings, so she, she's just using this term, um, that, uh, that I have to love my unlovable parts. Mm. And when I see how, how controlling I am, it looks ugly to me, DJ. I hate it. I hate it. I hate that I have that I feel the need to be so controlling, and uh, I get mad. Like I, I got mad at her a couple, my sponsee a couple times, and she came to me in tears. She's like, "I feel so bad. I feel like you're mad at me." And she's like a little girl crying in front of me, and I kind of felt like she was manipulating me. But on the other hand, it was like, you know what? That was wildly inappropriate for me to be angry with you. Wildly inappropriate, mm. and still taking inappropriate responsibility for other people. Right. And I react to them the way my mother reacted to my sister. My mother would get pissed at her. You know what I tell my, people? That's how, I tell people why? about, I'm sorry to cut you off, but I tell people about no, control no, is that we're just trying to find safety. And yeah. we have to stop looking for other people to make us safe. So let me ask you this. Here's a little free therapy you're going to give me. <laughs> <laughs> so when... Um, Okay, so you're right. You're absolutely right. Control is about making them act right so I can feel safe. Um, But I love these people, and it brings me such pain to see them hurting, and it feels like crisis, right? It's like, how do I allow, like, how do I offer, I don't know what help looks like. If someone's asking me for help, it's so confusing because then I'm, I'm going to offer suggestions and then they don't do them. And then I feel angry because um, they get hurt 
and when they're hurt, I feel pain. You know what I mean? Because yeah. I love them. Yeah, I, I completely understand. I mean, these people are showing up and exposing their most vulnerable self, uh, parts of themselves to you. And so you do yeah. become invested. And, you know, I've had m- many of sponsees who, who have gone down similar paths. But I also have clients who do the same. And so what I what I have to tell them is is my truth, and I say mm-hmm. whatever I is I'm feeling. So if I have a client or a sponsee who's acting out and they're causing harm to themselves and it's just going down a bad path, I'll simply say to mm-hmm. them, "I'm concerned for your safety." Okay. I I have yeah. I you know I want the best for you, but you have to want the best for you. And just know that I care and there are resources available if you want them. Mm-hmm. And if then I have to let them go. And then you and, let go. Oh, right. isn't that the hardest part? Yeah, yeah. The session ends or the sponsee meeting ends and then God takes over and you know what? I've done my part. Okay. Yeah. Do your part yeah. and let and turn the rest over. But let them know that you do care and that you are concerned. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that's what all of us really want to know is that someone actually gives a damn. Right. Yeah, it's true. And that someone understands. And yeah, I I, um, I have difficulty with the letting go part. And, you know, what my, my sponsor told me was, um, you know, you're responsible for um, being honest with them. You know, and sharing in a kind, loving way, yeah. and um, let God do the rest. Right. And so sometimes it's just hard to just let go. Mm-hmm. Well, then I so, would say do some good self care after that. Uh, oh, yeah. Yeah, take care of yourself. That's that's the time for self care. Shopping. Yeah. Well. The shopping count. <laughs> Retail. Retail therapy. Well, it all depends if that's not a, an issue for you. <laughs> <laughs> I do like shiny things, but yeah, it's okay. <laughs> I totally understand. You know, but that's one of those things that a lot of people don't even realize that they have a problem with is that, you know, we go out and shop oh, and shopping. buy things and yeah. yeah buy I, things you can't afford. Yeah. Right. So, you know, it's just we yeah. can become addicted to anything. And that's just Oh, you know truth. what though? I, I keep I'm like, oh if I could just find a way to get addicted to work and exercise, my life would be <sighs> fabulous. <laughs> Isn't that true? <laughs> it has not I try and try as I might. It just does not Yeah. Maybe I'm not doing it right. I don't know. <laughs> you know, I've seen stories on people who were addicted to like exercise and they were exercising oh, sure. like ten hours a day and I'm just like, whatever. Oh wow. Yeah. I don't have the <laughs> tolerance for that. Um, but you know, I'm good with half an hour. An hour in a week. (laughs) (laughs) Right? Like, listen, I'm busy. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. We keep showing up. We keep showing up in our lives trying to do the best thing that we can do and helping others along the way. We're going to be fine. Yeah. 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 I, I usually. I think my my favorite form of healthy self care is, um, and it sounds kind of weird, or I don't know how it sounds actually, but um, I like to paint my nails. And there's like this, I found like this whole subculture on Instagram where these girls do like all this nail art stuff. Mm-hmm. So I've 
you know, I'm like a typical addict, right? I'm like, you know, totally into it. So my Instagram account for a while, um, it seems to have faded a little bit because I'm so busy with the podcasting stuff, but my Instagram account for a while was nothing but nails. <laughs> I did my nails like three times a week. Goodness, yeah. I was like, wow. Yeah, I did a lot. It was super fun. I was getting good at it, getting lots of validation. And that was super fun. But it's just like a meditative thing, you know, mm-hmm. it's kind of just checking out, doing something a little creative and it seems harmless, right? Like it's nothing that I can spend a visit. Like I don't spend a lot of money on it. Um, it, it brings me a little bit of peace and it's kind of like my little checkout coping skill. So it's art, you know, just, yeah, yeah. And, um, you know, that's a healthy, a healthy coping skill, you know, and I'm definitely a, um, a writer. I do a lot of journaling. Journaling has been huge for me. Um, and, uh, what else do I do? I have animals. I have five chickens. I live in the city and everyone's like, oh, you have chickens? Oh my goodness. <laughs> <laughs> they're super cute, but there's a fancy kind. They're um, bantams. They're called silkies, and I have some Polish ones. And the silkies almost look like a baby chick because huh. their feathers are they're really they're like these fuzzy furball things. Everyone is like, "What is that?" I'm like, "It's a chicken." <laughs> have little feathers on their feet. They're like shoes. Yeah, so cute. wow. That's a thing here in Seattle too. A lot of people have chickens. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah, backyard. Yeah, having um, like backyard backyard. Um, chickens are like a thing now and, and and so I have like these little hobbies that feel like healthy outlets that um, help me cope with my stress right you know with the journaling a little bit of art nurturing animals I do a lot of service uh, sponsorship and that all helps me um, you know progress in my recovery helps me stay sober and helps me stay centered I do a lot of um, I found this app um called headspace it's mm-hmm. a guided a guided app, uh guided meditation app um i did that for about a year um and then i found sam harris who's an atheist but he practices meditation and he has these meditations on youtube um and then there's tara brock uh she has guided meditation she's very like spiritual so you know it's like i have a, a whole set of tools that that um, help me stay centered and peaceful and help me to flourish and and um, have a healthy life. So, Excellent. Well, maybe um, some of our listeners will hear these tools that we're using and uh, go grab them and use them. I hope so. I hope so. And it's, it's amazing once you start, I'm sure this is your experience too. I mean, you, you're, you've dedicated your life to helping others, but it's amazing how we all feel connected, you know, and I feel like that is really the root of addiction is separate feeling separate right feeling isolation and feeling separated yeah is for me the root of my addiction and what helps me to heal from that is feeling connected so whether it's talking to somebody like you who's a very caring and loving soul who understands or talking to someone who's trying to get sober you know giving it away what was so freely given to me Mm -hmm. um it helps me feel connected. So I find ways to stay connected and and that that seems to be doing the trick. I'll be actually if I'm coming up on a sobriety milestone, um, it'll be twenty three years, April twenty third. Wow. Congratulations. 
Thank you. Yeah. It feels like a big deal. I'm like, oh, God, I can't believe that's my number. But that's yeah, my number. That's amazing. That's so amazing. I'm so glad to hear that. Thank you. Wow. Thank you. Well, Thank I you. want to encourage you to continue doing the amazing work that you're doing because you oh, are thanks. helping so many people. And, you know, I, I tell people this is the best work I've ever done. Yeah, it really is. You're doing amazing work. And, and I see you. how hard you work and, and listen you got some hustle so uh, <laughs> I, I really <laughs> I really respect that and uh, uh, I'm proud of you uh, I, I think you're you. doing such great work so yeah. and I'm so honored that you would have me as a guest so thanks for letting me giving me an opportunity to share yeah well thanks for being here tell our listeners one more time where they can find your podcast so my podcast is on iTunes um, it's called the ODAT chat podcast and ODAT stands for one day at a time so it's O-D-A-A-T and um, I have a Facebook page that's also called um, ODAT chat podcast on Facebook and um, I'm looking it up right now are you yeah (laughs) so uh, I just published the uh, you know the podcast is new so I would love some feedback or suggestions on guests or topics um, I have about 16 episodes recorded, so I just launched it. So I'm releasing one a week. Um, I'm sorry, one a day for. I haven't decided how long. Actually, I'm going to be doing one a day for, but um, until I can kind of get some of these episodes out, all these people are chomping at the bit. When are you going to release my episode? I'm like, I don't know. I'm getting to it. Right. But, but yeah, but I think the Facebook page is probably the easiest way to engage me if you want to want to talk about stuff or. Um, listen, I'm happy to help and in any way I can. So I, I just appreciate the opportunity to to share the podcast and hopefully people get something out of it. Great, excellent. I'm sharing your your Facebook page right now, and I'm going to start Yay. listening to your podcast. And you know, I just I wish you nothing but luck. Thank you so much. Yeah. yeah. Anything I can do to help you out, you just let me know. I feel like, you know, we could be the dynamic duo and just heal the world. <laughs> <laughs> one day at a time. One person one at a time. time. Yeah. Exactly. Well, thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks for having me. You have a great day. Thanks for having me. All right. You take care. Okay. You too. All right. Bye-bye. Bye. Oh my God, what a fun episode with Arlena. I love her. She's amazing. Check out her podcast, ODAT Chat, on iTunes and on Facebook. I will include links to her show and her Facebook page and all of the resources that she listed. I will make sure that you are able to connect with her and get a, get more insight into the world of recovery and addiction from Arlena's eyes. I truly appreciate the message that she's putting out. Well, that's it for our show today, folks. Make sure you visit our sponsor today. Uh, That's AbleLifeRecovery.com. They are providing online recovery coaching for men and women in recovery. So make sure you check them out and support them because they support us. Thank you for joining the discussion today on Making an Addict. In closing, I want you to understand that there are various opinions about addiction and what makes someone an addict. The opinions expressed here on today's show are those of the person who made them. I suggest you take what you heard, process it, and decide for yourselves what you believe in. If you have feedback or want to tell your story on the show, let me know by emailing makinganaddict at gmail.com or you can reach me on social media. Again, I'm on Facebook and Twitter at DJBurr1022 
and the DJ Burr on Instagram. Lastly, thank you for giving me the opportunity to be of service. Recovery saved my life, and I will be forever grateful. I will keep giving back every opportunity I am given. Tune in next time to witness our ongoing discussion on Making an Addict. Making an Addict is produced by the Recovery Legacy Network, bringing you recovery on all fronts. Learn more at recoverylegacynetwork.com. Today's music features tracks by CDK and Spinning Markaba. Learn more about our tracks on makinganaddict.com.